Hello, and welcome to this special edition of Life's Tough, You Could Be Tougher. Today is September 11th. This is a tough day for America. It sparks both anger and reflection. I'm Dustin Planalt, your host. This is a show about life and purpose. It's about the stories we all have. Everyone, when you think about it, has a story. Some stories are more devastating than others. That's to be expected. Not every story, after all, makes the news. It's because of this that we at Life's Tough believe more than ever before the story must be told. When you think about your own story, the most important thing to consider is what you will do with it. Or, to put it another way, what will your legacy be? We're looking forward to another fantastic show today with our special guest, Kristen Valdez of Be Well Health. This is an episode you don't want to miss. Before we begin, I want to welcome a returning sponsor, the POI Institute. The POI Institute is a private, luxurious, holistic detox center located in gorgeous Cabo San Lucas on Mexico's Baja California Peninsula. POI offers safe, medically focused Ibogaine detox treatments for individuals suffering from a variety of addictions. Call the POI Institute at 833-POI-CABO. That's 833-POI-CABO. Or check out their website, POIIbogaine.com. That's P-O-I-I-B-O-G-A-I-N-E.com. Be sure to tell them that Life's Tough sent you. Now we'd like to welcome our very special in-person guest, Kristen Valdez. Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So be well connected health. Yes. Uh, this journey for you, where did it begin? It began uh, through probably a culmination of a very long career in the healthcare space um, combined with- And you're with... like 31 or 32, right? <laughs> I am not, but thank you very much for that. Um, no, I've had been a healthcare executive for over 25 years in our industry, mostly on the payer side first starting at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, then helping to build one of the first private Medicare Advantage plans in our country, focused on the chronically ill seniors, and then working at United Healthcare as an executive for several years. And then my daughter got sick. Um, so I have three beautiful children. Uh, my middle child is a daughter, Bailey. I've called her B since the day that she was born. It's, she's actually what the com- who the company is named for, Be Well Connected Health. Um, she was born with a very significant autoimmune condition. And even as a healthcare industry expert, I realized how difficult it was for families and individuals and advocates like moms to really be there for their loved ones and to be able to navigate a very complex and overly complex system in order to get diagnosed and treated effectively. So even as somebody who really knew the system from the inside, it still took me seven years and a near fatal incident before getting her diagnosed. And I was the one who found her diagnosis. And that's when I realized that as an industry, there were many great programs we had built, but that we failed to give consumers and their families the single thing that they needed, which was a singular location that was personalized, persistent, and portable to manage all their healthcare in one place. And now our systems today, comparing it to the way it once was, you've been an advocator of change. You, you fight, uh, the, I call it the bukas of the world. You <laughs> stand in front of them and you do everything you can to, to bring awareness. Uh, this journey for you, it, it has to be a personal one. It's passion sits on your shoulder. Um, how's Bailey doing these days? Bailey's doing great. You know, I say all the time that once you know the demon you're fighting, it's much easier to fight. So thank you for asking. She's doing well. Yeah, and balancing. You're a CEO. Yes. Uh, that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of pressure. And you're also a mama yeah, yeah. Uh, of, of three babies. How do you find the balance? 
You know, it's a combination of a couple things. One is that being in healthcare, I've learned um, over the years that this isn't a, you know, 24 seven, 365, kill yourself uh, race. It's something where you have to take care of yourself as well as taking care of your employees and your company and that that can be done in a balanced way. And so really working very hard at making sure that there's plenty of you know time off and rest, not only for myself, but for my team, who is an A team. They, they are, <laughs> you got some pretty awesome people, I must say. But I'm also very fortunate in that I have a husband who has been a stay-at-home dad uh, for 16 years and is amazing. That and takes a special kind of person as, sure uh, as a guy, I, I can tell you. It sounds like he's very calm. He must be very calm. He's, he, he's got a phenomenal sense of humor to keep everyone calm. <laughs> that's, that's cool. <laughs> Uh, and so for him, as you travel, and um, that's a, a different change. That probably came with some early looks or friends suggesting, but it seems like it's working. How did you find a way to make it work? Because I'm one of those that believes that even the men can be stay at home. Oh, uh, yeah. That it doesn't have to always be the other side, that sometimes it's better and certain, maybe based upon career choices. Um, how did you guys work this through? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We didn't really have a choice in um, deciding whether or not one of us was going to be a stay-at-home parent. We had a lack of childcare access on a day where one of us had to quit our jobs. Um, and we just decided at that time that it needed to be him. Um, and that from a career perspective that I had some great opportunities that I was gonna continue. And, you know, at the time he didn't know how to, you know, cook toast or <laughs> take care of babies or change diapers. And oh, I'll man, tell you, like every one of us out there, he is now a master chef, a handyman, an auto mechanic, a sports coach, and um, just everything to everyone, including myself. So um, we made the right choice for sure. <laughs> now, before you were CEO, um, back in the back in the day, tell me about your journey, um, your, your different careers. What did you get into? Like, what did what, what was it that drove you to say, I want to be able to lead an organization one day? Yeah, I think, first of all, I didn't make the decision to want to lead an organization one day. Um, when my daughter got sick, I just felt passionate that I knew how to solve for this problem. Um, and I felt like I knew enough that I should try. And even if I failed, I could always get a job. Um, but I knew that I knew how to fix this problem for families. Um, and so I put the effort forward and ended up leading a business. But my career was very fortunate. I fell into some amazing opportunities with some phenomenal mentors, um, opportunities that most people probably don't have. Uh, my first career in healthcare, um, I was brought into a brand new contract for uh, the government. And so it was like building a startup company inside a large organization, everything from hiring to building systems and servers and compiling data. Um, and I, in my career, everything always drove me towards the data because I realized that you could have such a big impact on entire populations if you could simply isolate the right people, determine what their needs were, and then find a way to get out to them. And so I always knew I wanted to not be on the one-on-one -on -one side of healthcare, but more on the population side of healthcare and data and analytics and you know, it, AI and machine learning and others were things that were extremely interesting to me in an impact to the population. And then I had a second opportunity to build a startup, um, which happened to be one of the first private Medicare Advantage plans in this country. Um, and I was part of the team that built everything from the ground up, scaled it to- And I always notice you use the word team. It, it yeah. appears that this is never just Kristen oh, no. involved. Oh no. I tell everyone, you know, my only superpower is building high performing teams. Um, I'm really good at finding people that are passionate about what we're trying to accomplish that 
can operate on their own that are self-starters. I don't ever think of myself as a manager. Um, I, I hire people that don't need to be managed. And the reality is, is that they work really well together and we can accomplish goals uh, much faster uh, than most teams out there. You, you guys have the ability to be everywhere uh, around the country and getting the message out. Uh, so which leads me into frustrating parts of the business, the system. What frustrates you? What makes you quite frankly just angry at this point? Sales cycle timelines. I'll be honest. Um, you know, I mean, it's we walk into organizations and, and we sell across the spectrum, which is a little bit unique for healthcare companies. We sell to payers, employers, hospital systems. Providers, yeah, usually it's niche based. Retail where pharma. They stick on one side. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. everywhere. Um, but it's frustrating to walk in and everyone say, this is our priority. We are budgeted. We have a sense of urgency. We need to get to market. And throughout the course of the conversations, when it gets to deal time, watching things really slow down. <laughs> so, and what do you think leads that? Why do you think it, it goes from, I would say, you're going up the mountain, everything seems to be in your right, and then it stalls. What know, causes that? It, it appears to be pretty common in business. You know, there's a couple common themes that we see. One is that in today's healthcare environment, there is tremendous amount of turnover. There's a lot of reorganizations and restructuring. So sometimes when you get into an organization and you have a champion uh, who's then trying to gain consensus across the organization, they leave <laughs> or their role changes or they switch companies and then you kind of start over. Yeah. And so that's, uh, I will say that there isn't one large organization we haven't come across where there's been some form of reorganization in under a six month period. And I think that's just the nature of the time that yeah. healthcare is transforming very quickly and leadership is really trying to reacclimate and organize around where healthcare is headed. And it's kind of interesting, that you, you know, that in the global spectrum of healthcare, that there is a lot of fear even among providers themselves. There's Absolutely. fear for payers. So one would argue that they would be more quick to adopt technology that would improve their infrastructure, that would lower their expenses, that would that would increase EBITDA to oh, move absolutely. it in the right direction. So these employers that you're meeting with around the country, what is their number one fear that you that they talk about with you? What is it the thing that keeps them up at night? Yeah, um, employers are really different than kind of payers and hospital systems. Employers are really frustrated. They're driven by frustration over the rising cost of healthcare, by the lack of outcomes that have been available to them um, from any of their solution providers in the past, and their lack of transparency around what's happening in their own environment. And as you know, employers are now footing the bill for healthcare. Um, at a much, much higher rate, the number of self-insured plans um, where employers are actually paying one for one those bills has grown exponentially. Um, and a lot of the brokers that we talk to are still trying to get employers to go from a fully insured to a self-insured model, putting them at risk. But employers were not created to be healthcare risk managers, and that's the position that they've been put in. So having a, a team like ours who's done risk management for many years with a platform that does the end-to-end -end overview really alleviates a lot of fear that they, do, they don't know what's happening. They don't know what solutions to provide to their population. They don't know if what they're paying for is even working. And finally, they can now see where their problem areas are and they can start to target to reduce their medical expense overall. So employers are great partners for us um, because we're transparent with them. And, and they are fiduciaries. And they are fiduciaries. But we become their neutral, trusted third party. You know, they're not paying us to adjudicate their claims. They're not paying us, you know, for um, the benefit that's being sold. They're paying us to get transparency into their population's health and to drive solutions for them in real time. Now, when we talk about waste, you know, people don't realize that this term, 
uh, pharmacy or prescription being one of them, that most people listening in know that they can go into their medicine cabinet at any moment, take out an old prescription, probably expired, and they still had 9, 10, 11, 13 pills left. What happens in a system when there isn't this ability to track? And, and why do you think it is that with all the problems we experience and we're facing, that the pharmacy end of it still is operating an antiquated model that what is right today may not be right, will be right indefinitely. And I think from your side, the data component, that that helps to get us in a better direction. So let's talk about the pharmacy side. So the pharmacy side is, uh, it's a very hot topic in today's market because of the cost of drugs and how quickly they are climbing. And there's multiple sides to this equation. Um, and I think what a lot of people don't understand because they're so frustrated with the cost of their, their drugs climbing is that the cost of the drugs that they're taking are really providing revenue to um, the pharma organizations for R&D for the 300 drugs that might fail besides the one that actually works. And yeah, as, it's like a, like a PE firm, you know, we're gonna do exactly. the 210 model. That, got it, no, the one exactly will feed the right. other. Yeah, but at the same time, there is a lot of problem and waste in the system, especially around, you know, pharma rebates or something that's being talked about a lot, even at the governmental level. Do those rebates get passed direct to consumer? You know, one of the things that we do for our populations is we actually price shop their drugs and we help them understand what most consumers don't understand, which is that your drug could cost a completely different amount at CVS versus Walgreens, even if they're right across the street from each other. And that there's manufacturer discount coupons and there's um, also therapeutic alternatives, sometimes to many drugs. We're working on a, um, a program and actually just today was announced a new bill on something called real-time pharmacy benefit. And there's um, incentives that are built in for payers to provide this solution to consumers, which will allow them at the point of care to look up, hey, you wanna prescribe me this medication, hold on, let me check, and they can put in the name of that medication. They can not only see the cash pricing available, but they can also see the pricing on their benefit based on the tiers and therapeutic alternatives that might be less expensive and more affordable, but could still solve their needs so they can have that conversation with the physician right in the office. And so we're, as an industry, really working on promoting tools and data availability and accessibility to consumers and their families to help drive down that out-of-pocket cost. Yeah, and for families where this is a big number, uh, as they oh, now yeah. have to look to the upcoming open enrollment to enroll in their, their healthcare plan, there's big decisions. And usually it's the cost isn't going down, it's going up. Uh, how quickly we are to not change uh, where do you see us going forward? Do you, do you see us having um, a, a better platform? Do you think that there will be more awareness? Do you see the millennials getting involved in this issue? Oh, I think everyone's involved in healthcare at this point. I think it's going to be a big focal point of the next presidential election. Um, I think the country unilaterally knows that healthcare is fundamentally broken um, and that we have to do a better job. But specifically, there we are getting ready to move into an era where we're going to see faster transformation in healthcare than we've seen before specifically on quality transparency you know pricing transparency that it is coming and we're going to see a movement that has not happened before where because we're unleashing the power of data which has historically been held in silos by provider organizations, payer organizations, that the release of this data direct to consumer, leveraging their patient right of access is going to allow them to create, to partner with innovative companies, technology companies even, that are trusted third parties that can actually meet their needs based on you know what they're trying to accomplish. And I think that you're gonna see additionally that new business models are gonna emerge as a result 
So there's a couple dynamics that are happening. One is the power of the employer. So take, for example, you know, Haven, you know, the new JP Morgan Chase, you know, grouping of employers that are basically saying we're tired of the historical, you know, system. We're going to do this better and we're going to do it for ourselves. Employers have a lot of power right now. They're looking to directly contract with pharmacies. They're looking to directly contract with providers. They're looking at medical tourism, ways that they can inspire quality and reduce the cost and do a better job for their employees. And I think that's really what a lot of the healthcare incumbents are reacting to is the power of the employer. Um, but I also think that because of the liberation of this data that we're going to start to see new underwriting models, new benefit designs that are coming out that are more tailored to an individual. When you think about the fact that in our country we have a 4% financial health literacy rate, what that means is that consumers do not, even with master's degrees, do not understand the terminology associated I, with I can contest to that being an insurance guy. <laughs> I totally understand. Absolutely. And yeah. so what's happening is that when people are sick or they have an upcoming procedure, they tend to buy high volume, high dollar insurance. And when they feel like they're healthy and they don't need anything, they look for the lowest premium, right? And the challenge is, is that all of those benefits are designed around something that we call like an arbitrage factor, which is like the locality of everyone within a specific, you know, zip code along with a lot of other factors on here's what the cost of healthcare is. But consumers can't name the benefits that they're paying their premiums for. They don't utilize the majority of them. And so we're now going to see new business models emerge where we're going to be tailoring programs and benefits specific to an employer level, specific to an individual level, where individuals will have more choice. And it will be simplified because we can't continue in this overly complex model we're in. And talking about Be Well, how you're helping family members protect other family members. A uh, certain generation yeah. needs a little bit more help uh, on the, the app or in the technology platform. Let's say that I have elderly parents that I'm caring for. Uh, what sort of access can you give um, that I can help them on the journey or that others in our community can help their family members on the journey? How are you different than everything else they've seen before? Yeah, well, historically, we leave it up to family members to have to reach out and contact, you know, the person they're caregiving to. And I think what's... Um, What's changed in our ecosystem is that more and more of us are caregivers. In fact, uh, most people don't know that 35% of all caregivers are millennials um, who are natively you know, digital, have had these technologies in their lives and expect for things to be a more of a simplified experience versus the transactional system we had before. We have a concept called the Health Tribe. And the Health Tribe allows um, for anyone on our platform to connect with whomever they choose at whatever security level they choose to share their health information and all of the algorithms and recommendations that we have that come directly from our engines. So as an example, I caregive to a parent who does not live with me, who has multiple chronic diseases. And I like to tell everyone he's an amazing, amazing father and probably the world's worst patient. You know, I have to go to his doctor's appointments with him. He feels like his doctors should be fortunate that he takes his medication if he remembers to take it that day. But he also doesn't like paying the out-of-pocket cost, you know, for those meds. So for the first time as his healthcare advocate and as his daughter, I can receive alerts in real time on my phone telling me when he's not filling his medications on time or when he's made an appointment at his cardiologist so I can download that to my calendar and plan to go with him because somebody has to be there with him. But also if he ever you know, is in a situation where he's incapacitated and in the emergency room or not feeling well, any one of his daughters can walk in and have his full medical record right on their phone. Medications, 
prescribing physicians, surgeries, encounters, um, latest lab tests and results longitudinally where they were pulled so that that treating physician who doesn't know dad has a chance at really understanding his history in a way that they can trust in, in and before they treat him. And where you are, uh, where Be Well is, yeah. it appears that you guys keep looking to see what people are dealing with, the issues, the issues that come up today, the issues that were here yesterday, and dealing with those issues straight on, even when the industry around you isn't so adept to change. Congress, what have you seen there? Do you see that there'll be any change or how are you advocating on the congressional side? Yeah, so we're part of a number of work groups. We certainly aren't out there, you know, doing this on our own. There's some great groups like the Karen Alliance, as an example, that are have been formed in terms of private and public partnerships to drive forward consumer liberation and access to data through the patient right of access. We are helping to inform what's really happening. So although there might be federal regulations that state consumers have the right to access their own healthcare data, in all practical reality, it's still a very big challenge. There are still providers and offices that don't understand HIPAA correctly. Um, and those are things that the government is really working towards. But what we're seeing is that we're in a political climate where it's really hard to get a lot of things through um, other than consumer healthcare. And so it's a great time for us to be transformational. The number of bills that have dropped, you know, in the last 12 months that have bipartisan support that are moving very quickly is actually larger than it's ever been. And all government agencies are now reaching out to subject matter experts like myself and many others in the industry because they want to hear what's happening. They want to hear how to change it. And so we really encourage everyone in the space who believes that regulatory is kind of handcuffing their business to go have those conversations because you know the senate the department of health and human services cms and many others are truly interested in changing and adapting and moving more towards the digital technology age and understanding that the regulatory environment has to change as well and in terms of recharging you know you you run at the speed of light <laughs> you look to to bring change to everything you touch. I've known you for some time. Where do you recharge? How do you find the, the battery to keep going? Are you like a Tesla? <laughs> and how do you do this? You know, it's funny. Um, I don't feel like I um, get worn down and need to recharge. Um, we are, and, and the team, um, are very inspired with every conversation that we have. The time is now to transform and make healthcare more affordable and simpler to access for consumers. And the fact that all segments of the industry are lining up around that is extremely energizing. And that's really what keeps us moving. Well, you've touched us today. Any final words you have for audience? No, I just thank you very much for having me and letting me tell my story. Uh, and the final question for you, the one we always send off with, in your life, who has been the toughest person, either professionally or personally, who's been the toughest person you've ever known? I would say the toughest person I've ever known is by far my mother. Um, she has set a phenomenal example. Uh, she was one of the you know, first women executives in healthcare to break that glass ceiling and she shattered it. Um, and wow. so she really set an, an amazing, um, she's been an amazing role model for me. And she's tough. She's been dealt a lot in her lifetime and I've watched her handle it with style and class and grace and I aspire to do the same. And what was her name? Jean McQuarrie. Jean McQuarrie. Yes. All right, as we do with each show, we'd like to end it the way that we believe it should be ended. Life's tough, but Gene McCory was tougher. Thank you so much for joining us on Life's Tough. You can be tougher. So that wraps up our show for today. 
Thanks again to Kristen Valdez for making this another outstanding episode of our Life's Tough podcast. And thanks to you, our amazing audience, for making the Life's Tough podcast one of the most relevant, engaging, and fastest-growing shows around. And a special thanks to my dear friend, Gerald Levin, Life's Tough chief writer and my Sherpa. And to our executive producer and my dear friend, John Miller, of the Alston Carlisle Studio here in Baltimore, Maryland. You already know life is tough, and running your own business is tougher. You need a financial planner who's tougher. Carl Grund is a financial planner who helps small business owners navigate the market and grow their business through financial strategies. Give Carl a call at 703-287-7128. That's 703-287-7128. Or send an email to cgrund at sfpfinancial.com. That's cgrund at sfpfinancial.com to learn how Carl can help you get tough on business. Securities and advisory services offered through Royal Alliance Associates, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. The stories we all hear are as varied as the people who tell them. It's impossible to discount the impact of any one singular experience. Instead, I ask you to use your story like Kristen's to empower others. Your story may be just what it takes to help somebody in your circle or perhaps in our community to get through a tipping point moment, an instance in which that person either chooses to continue to be a victim or when that person finds the strength to transcend a particular situation. Please subscribe to our show, visit lifestuff.com and be sure to join us every week for a new stimulating hour of heartfelt discussion. Tell your friends about us too. Remember, everyone has a story and every story has a purpose. Life's tough, you could be tougher. Thanks for listening and being a part of our community. Now, for the entire Life's Tough team, this is Dustin Planel signing off. Have a great week, everybody.